study uh, in the book of Jonah, and this is our, our third week into this um, study, and uh, yeah, it's exciting. Um, you know, this is kind of the Sunday school lesson of Jonah. If, if you know Jonah, everyone knows Jonah because of the big fish, so now we come to the big fish. Um, Jonah comes really to the end of himself at this point. He descends further than he can possibly go. And over the last few weeks, we've been witnessing how Jonah, uh, his geographical journey downwards uh, mirrors his spiritual journey away from the presence of the Lord. If you remember, that was his goal, to, to flee the presence of the Lord because he didn't want to do the mission that God had sent him to do. But it is interesting to note the, the geography uh, and the directional flow. In verse 3, he, he fled the presence of the Lord by going down to Joppa. And there he bought a, a chip, uh, purchased a, a ticket to go on a boat 2,000 miles away from Nineveh. In verse 5, while the sailors are praying, Jonah goes down into the hole of the ship. And today, we're going to read the last in a series of downward movements away from the Lord as we read that Jonah goes down to the pit of Sheol. Now, if you remember, Jonah is desperately seeking to flee the presence of the Lord. And he's doing this by ignoring the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to him and said what he shall do, and he fled the opposite direction. So keep in mind that Jonah is a picture of empty religion. He's a living illustration of Israel's faith at this time. Jonah's experiences are meant to mirror and reflect what empty religion looks like. As Jesus said of Israel in his own day, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Israel had become indistinguishable from their neighbors. Empty religion with many pious words and, and a lot of good deeds, but their hearts were out of line with, with God's heart. Their pious lives had become just a really thin veneer covering up a, a wicked and evil heart. And Jonah's journey away from the Lord is also a picture of our own waywardness. Yes, even we have a disregard for the word of the Lord in our own lives. And so Jonah is really a warning of all, for all of us. And in our passage today, Jonah comes really now to the end of his flight away from the Lord. And his journey ends and, and God intervenes. God appointed the storm to come and stop Jonah. And now God has appointed a fish to come and carry Jonah back to Nineveh. And the process of Jonah here in this prayer that we're about to read he has a personal revival, uh, an awakening in his own soul. And Jonah renews his, his commitment to the Lord. As his life is, is ebbing away, uh, Jonah thrust himself upon the grace of God. And it, God, it gave God great pleasure to respond because God is a God who is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. He's a God who relents from sending calamity. 
So in the belly of the fish, Jonah experiences God's amazing grace. In his rebellion and wayward journey, God showed up and showered grace upon Jonah. Jonah deserved death, and he got deliverance. So it's good for us this morning to prepare our hearts to receive God's word uh, in song. And what better song could we do this by singing Amazing Grace together? Uh, So Matt, why don't you do the honors of leading us? Let's stand together as we sing Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Yeah. 
thousand years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Remain standing as I pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, we pray that you would open up our hearts. We pray that your spirit would fall upon us this very day, that you would speak to us. Lord, give us open ears, open hearts to receive your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So let's turn uh, now to Jonah 1.17, where we picked off last week till uh, 2.10, as we see God's grace come to Jonah. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and your waves and your billows passed over me. And I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up upon the dry land. The word of the Lord. So I always think uh, that John Newton, uh, who wrote uh, that song that we just sung, Amazing Grace, he was a former slave ship captain and converted and became a pastor and, and the author of that hymn. I, I, I kind of think he had an affinity for Jonah. Uh, when you hear these lines, they kind of fit one-to-one -one with Jonah and what Jonah experiences in our passage. Amazing grace, how, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And here, t'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Jonah experiences this double grace that uh, John Newton speaks about. First, in that line, grace that taught my heart to fear. There, there was God's grace in this mighty storm. There was God's grace in these waves and billows that overcame Jonah. There was grace that hurled Jonah upon the sea that taught him to fear the Lord. But then secondly, there was this second nature of grace, that grace that taught us to fear also taught us grace my fears relieved. 
And as Jonah experiences the protection and salvation of God who appoints this fish to save him, God's grace is both terrifying and relieving at the same time. And Jonah experiences here real and true renewal as he learns to fear the Lord. In fact, Jonah's prayer here tracks his, his progression back to the Lord. And in many ways, Jonah's prayer provides for us a framework marking out what must happen in a person's life if he is truly, truly uh, going to come to the Lord in faith and complete trust and surrender. You know, Jonah wasn't fit for the mission that God originally gave him, right? That's why he fled. He was not ready. And so God brought Jonah to this point for a purpose, to set Jonah apart, to be effective for his calling and his mission, which was to bring the message of the Lord to the people of Nineveh, the, the sworn enemies of the Israelites. Jonah first had to come to this place of complete and utter dependence. Remember, renewal and revival doesn't just happen for one's own edification, or one's own religious experience, but it happens in order to set a person apart or a people apart for a divine and, and holy purpose. And so perhaps God is bringing you through a storm to prepare you for something, to, to bring you to a place of complete dependence and brokenness and trust, because that's the type of person that God can, can use mightily. God's power is made perfect in weakness. So let's follow this trajectory of Jonah's personal renewal. Jonah's prayer is obviously written later, after the fact, upon reflection. Uh, I doubt in the middle of uh, his drowning, uh, he was writing such a poetic uh, prayer. But he wrote this as uh, uh, a reflection of his experience. And it comes to us in the form of a thanksgiving psalm. Uh, if you were to read this passage divorced from the book of Jonah, and I were to ask you, where, what, where in the Bible do you find this? You would think it was a psalm, because that's what it looks like. That's the feeling of it. And it even follows the pattern of a thanksgiving psalm. And what I love about reading and interpreting the psalms is that if you can detect the form of the psalm, it helps you interpret the meaning of the psalm. And there are only just about 10 different types of psalms. And so Jonah modeled his prayer after a Thanksgiving psalm. And so here we can see uh, how the form of it uh, resembles a Thanksgiving psalm. Um, and these are, are usually written in response to God's mighty deliverance from some extreme difficulty, whether that be a victory in battle or overcoming a trial or, or surviving a, an illness. Uh, a Thanksgiving psalm would be a proper response to God's deliverance. And Thanksgiving psalms follow a, a certain pattern or form, and they will usually have an introduction describing the, the nature of the, the thanksgiving, a description of the distress from which they were delivered, uh, an appeal to God for help, oh Lord, help me, and then a testimony and a vow of God's faithfulness and, and worship. So that's how we're going to break up the passage this morning. And so let's walk through this psalm together, beginning with his introduction uh, in verse, the first two verses of, of the chapter, or through the first two verses. So we read that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So here in this opening description, we see the big picture of what the rest of the prayer is going to give us more detail about. But already here, we can see that Jonah had to reach rock bottom before he was in a place to even cry out to the Lord. Up until this point in his flight and his journey away from the Lord, Jonah refused to talk to God. He refused to pray when the storm waters rose. He refused to repent of his sin when the captain rebuked him. He refused to cry out to the Lord on behalf of the sailors when his sin was uncovered. Jonah has been silent towards God up to this point. He still brimmed with pride and self-sufficiency and entitlement. Jonah had to be stripped of his pride before humility could be born in his soul and in his heart. And it, it is the same with us. We have to be robbed of any sense of self-sufficiency and pride before we can address God properly. As Paul reflects in, in his own suffering, in his own trials, um, that there is a purpose to our suffering. There is a, a purpose and a reason to the trials that we need to face. And, and this is, listen how Paul interprets his trials. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We've set our hope that he will do it again. Jonah had to come to a place of emptiness and brokenness so that he could learn to rely not on himself, but on God who raises the dead. And if he can raise the dead, then he also has power over every trial, every situation that you're going to face. And through all that Jonah had been through up to this point, he had not once cried out to the Lord. Why do you think that is? Because he knew better. But now, when all hope is lost, he cries out to God. And what happens? God comes immediately. Verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. When Jonah came to the end of himself, this is when God is able to do his best work. It's God who delights to show us mercy and to be our savior, that, that it's in his very nature. And so really the overall point of this prayer is that Jonah didn't know God was all he needed until God was all he had. And that's true for us as well. Israel had taken their salvation for granted at this point in their history, and God was merely a good luck charm for them, someone to call upon when they needed a little extra help. At this time in Israel's history, it was one of great wealth and comfort and stability, even greater than the time of Solomon. Things were going good for Israel, and God was there if they needed him. Basically, they gave God lip service, but their agendas were purely self-seeking. And so the application here for us in our own walk is serious. We, we can't truly thrive and grow in the Christian life when God is only a, a crutch for us 
Only a little help here and there when we need it, but otherwise we're, we're living this life on our own in our own power and strength and in our own wisdom. And I've seen this in some of your lives, and as pastor I can say this without being judgmental or sounding judgmental, hopefully, because it's out of love that I say this. For many of you, as long as things go well, you're unengaged and distant. Other things take priority on the weekends. Generally, church and the body of Christ, it's nice, but it's not necessary. But then trouble comes, and you need help. You need a friend. You need support. Then your commitment level jumps from here to here. I just want to remind you that God is not your personal assistant. His job is not to advance your agenda. It's not as if we invite God to come alongside us as we do our thing. And if you want to gauge where you are in that, just ask, look, take a look at your prayer life. Is it mainly about you and your needs, your plans, your health, the things you love? Is that mainly what your prayers consist of? Or are your prayers mainly about God's kingdom and his mission, his plans and his grander purposes for this world and in your life? Look at the Lord's prayer. It has one little line about our needs, you know? Give us this day our daily bread. Otherwise, it's all about him and his, what he's doing. So if God is just a crutch for you, then he's really not your Lord and your Savior. In order for him to be that, we have to relinquish and surrender. All hints of self-advancement, we have to surrender our life to him. That's what he asks of us, is it not? In order for God to truly be our Lord, surrender is what is required. And surrender is what Jonah couldn't do. And so God brought him to a place of sweet surrender. So I wonder, what is it in your life that you might need to surrender? It could be a long-held sin in your life. It could be a, a, an ideal outcome that you're holding on to. An addiction, an attitude, any number of things in our life we can elevate to where only God should sit in, in our hearts. And as it is so often in, in the Christian walk, to find ourselves, we have to first what? Lose ourselves. To, to move forward we, and advance, we, we have to be brought low. To succeed, we, we first have to suffer loss. To be useful, we first have to recognize that we are useless. And that's what Jesus meant when he said we have to die to ourselves. Whoever would be my disciple must first deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And where do we follow him? We follow him on the path of surrender and suffering, where we can say with Jesus, not my will be done, but yours. So as we move into the body of Jonah's prayer, we'll see how, how Jonah reflects on what happened as soon as he hit the water. In verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. He got what he wanted. Yet I shall 
again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. And at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. Jonah didn't know God was all he needed until God was all he had. Jonah didn't deserve death. Uh, he did deserve death, but he got deliverance instead. And, and that's grace. That's amazing grace. In Jonah's rebellion, God pursues him. Look at verses 3 to 4. For you cast me into the deep. Was it the sailors or was it God? Into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Jonah sees the hand of God in this storm. And even in the sailors throwing him overboard, you cast me into the deep. Your waves, your billows passed over me. God loves Jonah way too much to let him run away. And God loves you way too much to let you run away. God is a pursuing God. And he's pursuing Jonah. As Jonah makes his flight from the presence of the Lord, God is pursuing him. But often God pursues us by allowing us to experience the, the consequences of, of our sin. God's wrath was pursuing Jonah. God's judgment, his righteous anger followed Jonah too. But in his anger is actually grace if, if we allow that to mold us and shape us. David knew this well when he wrote, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And so it was actually a work of grace that Jonah experienced the anger and the discipline of God in the storm and in the waves. As a loving father would discipline his sons. Right, guys? <laughs> God will do it to us as well because he loves us. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God pursues those he loves. So when we face trial, when we face hardship, it's, it's important not to fall into self-pity and escapism, but rather see our trials as a precious opportunity for God to shape us and mold us. And like I said last week, not every trial you go through is a result of your immediate sin, um, like it is for Jonah, <laughs> but every trial, every trial is an opportunity for God to form us and to shape us to prepare us for something greater, to sanctify us, or maybe even to just use us to be a witness of him, that he's sufficient. God was using this storm and this trial to prepare Jonah to go to Nineveh because he wasn't ready. But it was also to save Jonah from his own pride and his own sin. And I actually believe at this point Jonah dies I think this prayer was his last words in the land of the living, that he was literally fish food. And the reason I believe this is for a couple of reasons. It seems to fit the description of the psalm, descending into the bottom of the ocean, seaweed around his face. Twice in this prayer, he mentions going to the land of Sheol, 
which is really the, in the Old Testament, the land of the dead. And so I, I believe Jonah died. And thirdly, Jesus uses Jonah to illustrate the surpassing greatness of his own death and resurrection. But, you know, the real miracle is that God brought Jonah back from the dead. However we read it or not, it's in the fish or um, thrown up uh, and brought back to life. Either way, it was a miracle. And as Jonah's life was slipping away, he began to long for the presence of the Lord. He, he faced death. He looked at death in the eyes and he realized that he got what he wanted to flee the presence of the Lord. And his desire to flee the presence and he had sunk down to the bottom of the ocean and the gates of Sheol came near, as he says in verse four. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight or in some of your translations, I've been banished. Yet I shall look again on your holy temple. You know, when Jews pray, they always pray in, in the direction uh, of the temple. And so we have to see the directional change that happens in Jonah's spiritual life. He'd been fleeing the presence of the Lord, but he, in his prayer, turns to the temple, which means he does a what? About face. Here, in Jonah's desperation, he returns to the Lord Jonah, who had set his face against the Lord, turns back to the Lord. And that's a great picture of what repentance looks like. Repentance is when we turn away from our sins and turn back to God. Repentance is more than just saying sorry. It's recognizing the folly and the ignorance and the stupidity of our sin and returning to God in, in humility. Jonah's pride had left him. He turns back to the Lord and begins to hunger and long again for this presence of the Lord in his life. He felt the weight of his sin. And although God never left Jonah, Jonah felt the absence of God in his life. And, and repentance is a turning away from our sin and a longing and a hungering for God's presence again in our life. And when he cried out to the Lord, when all hope was lost, he recalls, yet you brought my life up from the pen, O Lord God. As soon as he turns to the Lord in prayer, the Lord rushes in to save him. The moment Jonah prayed to the Lord, the Lord rescues him. Peter wrote this to the persecuted church in Rome. He writes, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Jonah learned humility through his suffering, and God lifted him up. Look at verse 6. I went down to the land of whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. And that's what God does with us. We were dead spiritually dead in our sins. And God brought us up out of the pit and set our feet on solid ground. Let's see what lessons Jonah learns from this in verses seven to eight. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So Jonah didn't know God was all he needed until God was all he had. Jonah appeals here in verse 8 to God's steadfast love, right? Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake 
their hope of steadfast love. This word in, in Hebrew, steadfast love, is, is one of the most frequently used words to describe God's actions and his love for Israel. It has a, a complex and, and deeper meaning than just love. It is really God's enduring love. It's stronger than a feeling. It describes God's loyal covenant marriage love for Israel. We may falter in our love for God, but God's love will always endure. And that's the meaning of the steadfast love that he will remain true and faithful when we are untrue and unfaithful. And God extends this love to us. It's always there. His love is pursuing us like, like God is pursuing Jonah. And, and that's the lesson Jonah learned. And it's key for us. When we turn away from God and pay regard to vain idols in our own life, we forsake, right? And other translations say we abandon or we forfeit God's steadfast love. What this means is that, that God has not abandoned us. He's pursuing us with this enduring, steadfast love. And what Jonah is saying is that we've abandoned God. God hasn't abandoned us. And at no point in the narrative did God leave Jonah. It was Jonah who left God. But God's steadfast love pursued Jonah even down into Sheol, the land of the dead. Do you remember what David wrote about our attempts to flee from the Lord? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths or in Sheol, you're there. So the gospel message for us this morning is right here in this steadfast, pursuing love of God. God is pursuing you this morning, each one of us, with an enduring, loyal, steadfast love. And if you feel far from God, God has not left you. It's you that have left him. Return to him. Turn from your sins. Turn back to him, and he will rush towards you like he rushed towards Jonah. And he's extending this love to you and mercy this very morning. Jesus has come to rescue us from certain death. Like Jonah was descending down and down, so were we. We were in distress, drowning, without hope. And like Jonah, there was nothing we could do to save ourselves. Nothing. Death and eternal separation from God is certain for everyone that denies Jesus. God's wrath was coming, and we would have to stand under the penalty of our own sin and our own rebellion. Sheol's hell was our destiny. And like Jonah, we deserved to be cast out into the sea of God's fury. But Jesus Christ has taken our place. He is our substitute. He died our death and suffered the fury of God's wrath so that we could have new life and a, and a second chance. On the cross, Jesus plunged himself into the terrible reality of God-forsakenness. Right? That, that he's been banished from the presence of God. That's what Christ experienced on the cross. So that we could receive his steadfast and enduring covenant love with the Father. Because of Jesus, we can stand before a holy God without fear and without condemnation. And Jonah shows us that no one is beyond saving reach of a loving and caring God. Sorry. 
a God who's quick to show us his steadfast and enduring love to all those that turn to him. He will never reject you. Repent, and God will come near to you this very morning. No one is so far gone that they cannot uh, outrun God's pursuing love. And in this invitation, God is speaking to you this morning to call him back into your life, to let Jonah's words be your own prayer. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. I cried, and you heard my voice. God is pursuing you with an enduring, loyal love. So stop your running. Turn back to God, and he's going to come near to you. As we close and, and return to Jonah's prayer, we see that he responds to God's grace with commitment and sacrifice and vows Jonah didn't know God was all he needed until God was all he had. Look at verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up upon the dry land. Jonah had been changed by God's grace. Jonah's experience of this double grace of of, of learning to fear the Lord, but letting this grace relieve his fear. God's love had, had changed his heart. It was no longer a theory up here, but a reality felt in his heart. Like Job could say at the end of his suffering, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you because of his suffering. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. And he responds to this grace with sacrifice and commitment and vows. And a vow for the Hebrew meant something you would do even if it cost your life. Jonah was ready to go to Nineveh now to declare to them that salvation belongs to the Lord. God brought Jonah low so that he could lift Jonah up higher than he was before. And as so often the case with God, the way up is down. And so as we close this morning, let me invite you to respond to God's pursuing love in your own life. Whether you've walked for the, with the Lord for months or years, he has a pursuing love for you. And Jonah didn't know God was all he needed until God was all he had. So let Jonah's flight from God be a warning to us. Because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful prayer uh, of Jonah.